You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Hey, uh, I must have gotten the good one. I think Aaron had the good one this morning and uh, <laughs> that one didn't work. But yeah, um, yeah, well, welcome. Uh, so you get two for the price of one. Uh, I've used that many times and uh, it's probably getting old. <laughs> but no, thanks for coming tonight. Welcome to Eltham Baptist. Um, if you didn't know where you were, that's where you are. Uh, I'm Alex. I used to be an intern here last year. Uh, no longer. Um, but anyway, let me, I digress. Let me continue. Um, so I'm continuing a series today um, that I began 12 months ago. Um, and uh, this is the second part of that series. So it's, been a bit of an interval in between, but that's okay. We'll get there eventually. Um, yeah, so last year I talked about um, the unseen nature of reality. Like, I suppose if, you, if you're familiar with Plato's um, uh, idea of the forms, the world of the forms, which was a separate world where everything was like a perfect version of the things that are here on Earth. And he would say that this world is kind of a world of shadows that this is actually only a reflection of the true world, the world as it really is. Um, and that's been a really fascinating idea that has gripped people for centuries, for millennia, um, and uh, is kind of what movies like The Matrix are based on, that this world is not really our home, this is not really the way things are. Um, and that's what I talked about last year, and I suppose the Bible talks about that too, that there is heaven and earth, although the Bible would make a distinction, say that earth is a real place, don't get me, don't get me wrong, like... The world that we're in is a very real place, but there are things going on behind the scenes that we don't see. And um, I suppose last year I talked about how our hope as Christians, or as human beings really, I mean, the only hope for anyone, is that uh, we were made for another place, for a kingdom that would last forever, and for a God who would fill that hole inside us. And that's what we need, and that's the craving that we have inside of each of us. Um, So that's what I talked about last year, and um, today I want to expand on that um, by talking about um, another thing that goes on in this world that we often, I think, can forget about, and that is the nature of spiritual warfare that Aaron was talking about before, and the fact that we are engaged in a battle between heaven and earth, as it were, or probably better to say, like, between God and the great adversary who is seeking to destroy humanity. And he did that in the Garden of Eden. You know, when uh, if you read Genesis chapter 3, uh, Satan in the form of the serpent came and tempted Eve and tempted her to take the fruit. Um, and as a result of that temptation, Adam and Eve fell into sin and the world um, was changed and death came into the world and things aren't the way they're meant to be um, and no longer will be until um, God comes back and redeems things. So... Um, God's purpose is to try and restore us to that kingdom. Um, But as I say, Satan is like a roaring lion. He prowls around and he is trying to destroy us and trying to drag us back into the darkness and into death. Um, And as Christians, I think sometimes we can forget this. I don't know about you, but I know myself. I uh, just finished Bible college last year. And... um, You know, you spend like three or four years studying the Bible every day, going in, um, doing, listening to lectures and writing essays, and you're just in the Bible constantly. You know, you go to chapel every day, uh, and you just get fed so much. I, I suppose we've got like nine people this year going to MST, which is awesome. 
Um, it's really exciting. But if you ever get the, like, you know, the urge to go to Bible college, I highly recommend it. It's probably been the best experience of my life, um, just being in the Word every day. Um, but, you know, that season has come to an end. Uh, I've finished the internship, and I've also finished Bible college. So now I'm just, like, working in a secular job. I work at the Art Center in a very inglorious job as an usher. Um, and, you know, like, I'm not involved in any particular ministry at the moment. I'm, I'm looking for something, the next thing, whatever God has for me. Um, and so I think, you know, now I'm starting to just be in the world more, as it were, and I'm starting to forget what the whole point of everything is. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever felt that, that you've ever kind of just gone along with the flow of life. Maybe you're in school and, you know, you're just, you know, going about your thing or you're, you're at work and you're just plodding away. There's nothing wrong with, I suppose, the mundane, the, hum, the humdrum of just earning a living and raising a family and, and all those things. But I think sometimes, as Christians, I know that I, at least, look, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. You can agree with me if you agree. If not, then you're all much more enlightened than I am. But I think sometimes I can forget what's really going on. I can go through life, and I can actually forget, hold on a second, there is actually a roaring lion prowling around, and he's often inside my head telling me things and tempting me and telling me lies about myself and about God and about other people. And he is seeking to destroy me. And having put my trust and faith in Christ, um, when I was 17 years old, I became a Christian. Satan will do his darndest to try and destroy me. Now, I, I believe that as Christians, our salvation is assured, that we have, um, that if we truly put our faith in Christ, um, he is able to keep us until the, the last day. It says, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, he, will, he will keep you till the end. I can't remember the exact verse. Um, terrible Bible college student, but uh, there's one in there. In the New Testament, you can look it up. <laughs> You've all got Bibles. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I truly believe that Christ is able to keep us until the last day. But that doesn't mean that Satan won't try and do his darndest to trip us up. And worst case scenario, even if we get to heaven, Satan will try and distract us or confuse us or um, just beguile us, I suppose, to the point that we will be ineffective in our faith and that we will not be as effective as we can in robbing his kingdom of those who are still in darkness. Um, and that is, I think, part of our purpose here on earth. Uh, you know, the Westminster Catechism says, man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, but I think also on top of that, part of glorifying God is to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. And that's about telling people the good news, the gospel, right? And sometimes I think we can forget that we actually need, we are the ones who have been given the message to go and tell people who are still in darkness um, the message. And I suppose it's, actually, no, before I do that, uh, um, you know, we are living in pretty dark times at the moment. Um, uh, things aren't looking great. I don't know about you, but I personally am starting to get a little bit more pessimistic about the world. Um, you know, global warming, people keep going on about that. It seems to be more and more certain. Certain islands are going to be, like, underwater, and people have to, like, move off the land they've been on for hundreds, thousands of years or whatever. Um, sea levels are changing. Climates are changing. I think we've seen that in Australia. I mean, anyway... Um, not only that, but, you know, you've got wars from the ends of the earth, as Matthew 24 talks about, you know, ISIS rising up and just doing crazy stuff. Um, you've got uh, a, a greater division between the rich and the poor, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. I read an Oxfam report last week. 62 people 
own $1.76 trillion, which is equal to half of the world's poorest part of the population. The, the poorest 50% of the world, which, I don't know, it's like 7 billion people, so that's 3.5 billion something. 3.5 billion people own the same amount of money as 62. <laughs> and that, that figure has increased. Uh, five years ago, it was 388 owned the same as half of the, of the world's population. Now it's only 62. So the elite are getting richer, and the poor have dropped in their net worth by 41% in five years. So the poor are actually really getting poorer, and the rich are really getting richer. So that old adage is true. I don't know, I'm just like kind of pessimistic about the way the world is, but why should I be surprised? Because the Bible says that's the way things are going to be. Um, and you know, the world has a lot of solutions for all these things. People are like, you know, kind of having global summits on this thing like climate change or addressing poverty and all these things. There's all these solutions. And or if it's warfare, you know, the Americans, when uh, they see ISIS rising up in the Middle East, what do they do? Oh, OK, we'll, we'll send a US-led um, delegation of Western nations to go and fight ISIS. Great, cool, no worries. But, you know, we always try and solve problems with warfare, you know. Um, so we'll send the troops in, we'll send, uh, spend billions of dollars and go and blow them up, because that's going to solve the issue. Uh, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that humanity, in all of the trials and tribulations we face, we're constantly trying to just scramble our way out and um, try to get, regain order in the chaos that is this, this world, which really, as I say, is a result of the fall. Um, the world is a chaotic and crazy place. I don't know about you, but my life has felt pretty crazy lately. Uh, I've been moving house. I got asked to preach um, Thursday. So I'm not, it's not an excuse. <laughs> but uh, my life has just been crazy, you know, and, and just all sorts of other stuff. I just feel like my head's spinning. And I don't know about you. Maybe you're going through times where you just have times where you feel like life's out of control. And you're just trying to, you're just scrambling to try and keep it together, you know, just keep it together. And I, f I think that's like the way um, the world operates, you know. And uh, someone said, I don't know if it was Winston Churchill or someone, said that most men live lives of quiet desperation. Now, someone will probably look that up, and someone might know who actually said that, but anyway, I thought it was a really good quote. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. I don't think that has to be true of us as Christians, definitely not, but I guess I'm just illustrating the way that the world is. And the world, you know, as I say, there are all these things going wrong in the world. I'm being very vague, because that's just the way I do things. Um, I'm not really a political expert, but the way that human beings respond to ad adversity, uh, I think Japan is a classic example. Like, you know, when they had that big earthquake and there was that tsunami or whatever, and then the nuclear power plant built, uh, melted down, they're like, nope, we're just gonna, we're gonna get together and we're just gonna fix this thing. And they did, they just do things. Like, you know, they're like the Germans, they just get things done, you know? They're just a very resolute people, which also makes them really difficult to preach the gospel to because they're so independent and so self-sufficient, you know? Um, and I suppose that is a kind of like what the world is like. You know, we, we are constantly trying to just keep things under control, get it together. And that is a catch cry of humanity. We want independence, we want peace and security. We just want, you know, we want to have our own vine and fig tree, as the, the Old Testament prophets would um, talk about. You know, each man under his own vine and fig tree. We just want to have a nice, quiet piece of turf where we can just rest and be at peace. That's what the world wants. Um, but yet, it seems to be harder and harder to get it. Paul talks about this um, 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Um, he says, uh, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, Peace and security or safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the day, uh, of the light and of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Um, so first of all, Paul talks about the day of the Lord, you know, and he says basically, you know, there's no point speculating when the end of the world will be, which is what the day of the Lord refers to. Um, because Jesus said, you know, no one knows the day except the Father. Not even the angels nor the Son. No one knows the day. So just get on with, like, you know, what you're meant to do, which is preaching the gospel and, you know, living righteous, holy lives. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's kind of said what's, you know, important for us to do, but we often get distracted by things like, oh, I wonder when the day of the Lord's going to be. Paul says, don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, um, and then he says, while people are saying, you know, peace and safety or security. Um, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Um, Paul's sort of, uh, so some people have said, well, maybe Paul's talking about the Old Testament prophets when he says, you know, these people who say peace and security. Uh, he, he's, maybe he's mocking those prophets who said to Jerusalem, hey, Jerusalem, don't worry. You know those Babylonians, those Assyrians? Ha, they're going to be trampled under your feet. Virgin daughter Israel laughs in your face. Um, well, that's not what happened. The city got destroyed. End of story. Uh, no. um, uh, actually, most scholars think that Paul is here referring to, um, uh, rather than Old Testament prophecies, actually referring to the slogans, which were the catch cry of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was the greatest empire that had ever come across the world. They actually conquered the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and they just trampled everyone. Even Alexander the Great's great empire was conquered by the Romans. And they had just completely obliterated their enemies. And they had established what was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And they talked about Rome as like an eternal city, that it would reign forever. And they talked about the Pax Augustus, the peace of Caesar, the, the peace that Caesar had achieved. And they would proudly proclaim this. And they'd write it on coins, Pax Romana. And they'd put it on their buildings. And they would. it was like this big kind of... Uh, propaganda machine the Romans had invented. And uh, yet the peace they had achieved was one that was won by the sword. They went around killing people, conquering, pillaging, burning, kind of like ISIS are doing, wanting to establish their caliphate. And as the Americans kind of do in their own way, trying to restore order, I suppose. Um, it's just human nature to go around conquering and to try and make peace for ourselves, but we do it at the expense of others. That's not actually the kind of peace that the Old Testament talks about. Um, the word in, in Greek for peace is irene. I probably pronounced it wrong. If you're Greek, forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce Greek. But um, the word just means, it's like a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew word, which is shalom. 
And shalom in Hebrew is a, a word that doesn't mean just an absence of war. It's not just about no fighting, no conflict. It actually means wholeness or like peace, um, well-being. And it has a very deep kind of covenantal uh, sense to it. it. It's talking about wholeness of person, but also harmony between Yahweh or the God of Israel and, and the person. It's about the whole world being right the way it was meant to be, back kind of in the Garden of Eden, and uh, that this shalom will never be restored until Christ comes back and restores it. And, and I suppose the difference is, Paul is saying, these Romans, right, they talk about peace and security, but they're just, um, they've established this peace by the sword, and they have gone and conquered people. Um, and, and I suppose, I'm probably, sorry, I don't mean to be kind of all over the place. I hope you can follow me. But I will try and persevere because I think it's important. But um, uh, Paul's saying, you know, human beings, basically, let, we'll take the Romans as an example, but human beings throughout time and even today constantly try and establish order and try and cling to uh, you know, this peace. They're trying to constantly just, as I say, grasp for order and security. And, and that's what humanity kind of wants. They just want to be at peace and, and to have security. But the problem is, when you leave God out of the picture, there is no peace. You know, you can, you can build your big mansion and have your fortified walls, your 10-foot-high fence, and a moat with alligators in it all around. You can do all that. Look, Hey, build a big barn and put all your crops in it. Whatever, do whatever you want, man. That's fine. But Jesus says, you know, to the rich man who said, I'll build a bigger barn. You know, hey, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? There is nothing we can do as human beings that will establish this peace and security for ourselves. If we leave God out of the picture, we're done. We're toast. Because there is one person that we will have to deal with on Judgment Day, and that is him. And he is the only thing that matters in this world. We deal with God. Um, thankfully, he has made a way, and Christ is the way. But Satan will try and distract you and um, draw your attention away from the fact of what really is important, and he'll distract you by, oh, look at all these sparkly things, all these shiny things. Like, you know, it's like a circus. Oh, look at that, and this, and oh, the new iPhone came out, whatever. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so... Paul's saying, well, people are saying peace and security, this peace and security they've established, destruction will come on them suddenly, and they will not escape. Because, as I say, if you've left God out of the picture, then you're in big trouble. Now, I trust we, we haven't done that, because as Christians, Paul talks about in this passage, but, you know, he says, you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And he, he uses this imagery of light and darkness, which was a common thing back in um, that time, to contrast um, the sons of light and the sons of darkness, the Qumran community, uh, who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, I don't know if you're familiar with them, they would often talk about the sons of light and the sons of darkness. And sons of light was a kind of an idiom talking about like the Israelites, basically, or the true people of God, and sons of darkness was obviously a term for those who were, you know, the wicked and that sort of thing. Paul says, he's using this terminology, and he says, but you are sons of light and sons of the day, because you've come into the kingdom of light. You know God, right? Um, uh, so then, he says, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Um, these are two important concepts. He says, basically, 
The word for alert is uh, a word that means to be watchful. It's kind of like, and the word in Greek is actually Gregorio. So if you know, the, uh, I don't know if this is where the Gregorian monks come from, like where their name comes from, but they kind of chant and stuff. And I just imagine them like sitting up all night doing their chanting and they're like watching over the mountains, you know, as the, I don't know. Uh, it's just some connection in my brain. Um, but um, basically, the word means to be watchful, like to be watching through the night, you know, and to be vigilant. And that's what Paul's saying. We need to be vigilant. We need to stay alert. And he says to be self-controlled, we need to control ourselves because sin will try and, you know, uh, tempt us. It will try and bring us down. And it does. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like, it does. But the thing is, that that's not what defines us. Sin for Christians is, I love this, this is how Stuart puts it, sin is merely a momentary lapse of forgetting like your true identity. Because as Christians, we are born again. We've been made, we've been cleansed by Christ's blood and we are a new creation, right? We, uh, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And when we sin, we're just going against our true nature, but it's not really who we are. And, and so Paul says to be watchful, and to be self-controlled, to give the enemy no opportunity to slander. And he says, so let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> um, but he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Um, three things he talks about. Faith, hope, and love. There's a triad that he uses in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. And, you know, throughout Scripture in Ephesians 6, if you're familiar with that, when he often talks about spiritual warfare, he talks about putting on the spiritual armor of God, right? And I, I've often seen, oh, well, when I first read that, I used to imagine myself putting on my gauntlet of whatever and my breastplate, <laughs> and that's fine. Look, you know, if you, if you want to pray like that, that's fine. But I think the point that Paul's making is, in, in the kind of Greek rhetoric, because uh, they would have Roman soldiers, like legions around all the time. So they would see these soldiers in their full gear. And so this imagery of the soldier fully equipped was something that people were familiar with. But the point isn't so much about, you know, different pieces of armor. It's actually about the virtues that Paul talks about. So he says, put on faith, you know, to put your faith in God. Put on love, love and love for other people and love for God. Put these on as a breastplate to protect yourself from the enemy and put on the hope of salvation, hope and, and a, an assurance that you are saved. As Christians, if you have put your faith in Christ, you can have full assurance that you are completely saved, that you will be vindicated. And that's what Paul's saying. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet because that is what's going to protect you from the lies and the attacks of the enemy. And, and um, so then he says, for God did not, he did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. I guess the one thing I want you guys to get away from this I've, is um, we, we need to be alert to the spiritual reality that is going on around us. We need to be alert to not only that our hope is not in this world, that we live for another world. We are on a pilgrimage home. We cannot make, this is like, if we were to indulge in this world, it's like we're gorging ourselves in the banquet, uh, sorry, in the foyer, um, before the banquet, as Stuart would say. I love that analogy. Um, but this world is not our home. There's no point sort of settling down our roots too deep here because we can't stay. We're going to die one day. We're all going to die 
in 100 years, we'll probably all be forgotten. We can't take anything with us. There is one that we do business with, and we come before him one day, and that is what we should live for. So we need to keep our eyes on spiritual realities. We also need to be awake and alert to the fact that there is a battle going on around us. There is an enemy who wants to destroy us and to drag us down, or at least to neutralize us and make us ineffective. And church, as the body of Christ, we have been entrusted with the gospel, and it is up to us to preach the gospel and to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to release those in darkness, because many people are completely unaware of what is really going on. You know, Paul talks about people saying peace and security, and suddenly destruction comes on, comes on them because they were unaware. But we're not unaware. We are awake. We have been woken up. It's like in the Matrix. Neo gets woken up out of his sleep, and he realizes, whoa, this isn't the real world, and that's us. We are awake. We have the truth. We have God's word written in the Bible, and we know what the truth is, and we know there will be a day when we will have to reckon with God. And as such, we need to be serious about that, and we should be awake and alert, vigilant and self-controlled to rescue others from that dominion of darkness as well. So anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned for next episode, which should be in about 12 months. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, okay. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.